Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the Apostle Paul and his steadfastness to your truth. Father, I thank you that over the centuries you have maintained your book, that we may be comforted in it, we may be canceled in it, many times we will be convicted in it. And Father, I just pray that in this day and age of uh, I don't I, I, dishonesty, I guess, uh, that Father, we will stand on your truths and we'll stand on your truths alone. And that, Father, um, we will not be tossed to and fro with every wind that comes. But, Father, we will show ourselves workers approved, rightly dividing your truth. May that be the heart and the passion of everyone here. And that, Father, we may hear, well done, true and faithful servant. We love you. May our love grow with every breath you grace us. And, Father, please teach us now. In Christ's name. Amen. We moved out of the contrast that the Apostle Paul had used between a true servant of Christ and the false. Uh, those who claim to be men of God and which are not. And he's moving into this little section here. And it's kind of kind of a strange part. Actually, a couple of these sections in in this area that I'm dealing with, because chapter 10 through about halfway through chapter 12 is spiritual warfare. What is it really? Okay, and what what does Paul delineate it as? And yet there's some of this in here. You read it through and it's just sort of it seems like it's a little personal thing. Uh, it doesn't really have a deep theological basis to it. It doesn't really have this massive historical augmentation coming about but uh, one of the things that I have done, have you ever read when you're reading the Bible, you get into the, I call it the, the begot section, such and such begot and such and such begot and such and such begot. And you read that and you think, and why is this in here? But one of the things that I have learned is it's the word of the Lord. Okay, and he wants it in there for a reason. And I mean, if you read 16 through 21, you're like, I'm not really sure what the point is. Well, there's a very good point in it. All right. He's dealing with something that I wish Christianity would deal with a lot more. All right. And what it is, is humility. All right. Because... What I see, what I witness in my dealings as a pastor is staggering. Uh, It is, uh, you can take people that you believe are some of the most humble people that you've ever met and realize they're not. And what happens is, is that when you run into someone who is obsessed with humility, like the Apostle Paul, it's almost stunning. It, 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 your first response is, they're faking it. Let me give you a quote from John Piper. Quote, humility is not a popular trait in modern world. It is not touted on the talk shows or celebrated in valid Victorian speeches or commended in diversity seminars or listed with corporate core values. And if you go into a massive 
self-help section of your sprawling mall bookstore, you won't find many titles celebrating humility. Unquote. One of the things that I have watched, you guys know that I love history. One of the things that I have watched in civilization and society throughout history, throughout history, is that when God goes, humility goes. All right? If you do not have an understanding or a focus on God, how do you have an understanding or focus on humility? When I do leadership training classes here, uh, one of the classes that I deal with is that I want you to define for me humility. That's one of the assignments. And people will, I always get very, very insightful um, views on humility. But then they inevitably will ask me, how do you define humility? And... um, It's very simple. It's the absence of pride. Okay, listen what I said. You can't have a little pride and be humble. It's impossible. It's water and oil. I was reading a newspaper article. And this might give you an idea of uh, what you're up against. Quote, There are some who naively cling to the nostalgic memory of God. The average churchgoer takes a few hours out of the week to experience the sacred. But the rest of the time, he is immersed in a society that no longer acknowledges God as omniscient or omnipotent force to be loved and worshipped. Today, we are too sophisticated for God. We can stand on our own. We are prepared and ready to choose and define our own existence. Unquote. Anybody here guilty of that? This text is still the word of God, the living God. And Paul is being forced to boast. Paul is being forced to defend his apostleship. He is being forced not to overstate the case, but to speak truth. He's being forced to identify himself as a true apostle. I know guys right now, pastors right now, who overstate everything they do. All right? I have been a pastor in this church for over 20 years. I know everybody that I've ever baptized. I do not have to round up. All right? Most pastors, if you ask them about baptisms, will always round up. Why? You know, you baptize nine. Well, you know, it was roughly ten. Well, no, it was nine. Why is that? I don't understand it. But any time that you talk to these men today, 
when they are talking about something ministerial or something as a servant or this is a, something that I'm doing for the Lord, the numbers always are inflated up. Why? Why is that? The Apostle Paul has to defend his apostleship. He's forced to do this. And let me tell you something. If you read the Apostle Paul, you will understand quickly he is being forced. This isn't something that he wants to do. And yet he speaks truth, but he's forced to identify, uh, I guess, defend his credentials. Why do you call yourself an apostle? Well, the reason he's being forced is that the false have come to Corinth and they were basically saying he's a fake. He wasn't really called. If he was really called, he would charge you money. If he was really called, he would be able to articulate as a great orator. If he was really called, he would be something to look at. You know what that sounds like? The United States. The United States. And I've talked to pastors that that, uh, are looking for churches. And they have one sermon that they have preached. That is, uh, uh, they call it their sugar stick. That if I'm applying for a job, I will send you that sermon. So you can hear how I preach. All right. These people had come into Corinth and they were peddling the word. And truth of the matter is they were having, to some extent, uh, success. Some people in the church in Corinth were believing these false teachers. Okay, where I come from, these false teachers, you know what we call them? The vernacular we call them? Liars. Okay, now you get into trouble for that today. If a person is a liar, don't call them that. They have a problem with the truth. What's a liar? Okay, and yet, oh, well, you can't really say that. These false will always attempt to destroy the truth. Okay, if they're trying to destroy the truth, what does that mean they are giving you? A lie. To discredit truth, you have to discredit The truth teachers. The messengers that God has sent. And that's what they were attempting to do to destroy Paul's credibility. Paul does not like to defend himself. Okay, read through his letters. A lot of the things that you know about the Apostle Paul were either in a defense of someone making an accusation or we know about from Luke's writing in Acts. So Paul here is going to take them on. And let me tell you something. He really, really, really does not like to do that. See, I have it better than the Apostle Paul. I teach truth. All right. If someone wants to say what I'm teaching is not truth, then all I have to say is show me in the word. Paul didn't have that. He was in the process of writing the word. I can stand by truth because I stand on truth. Paul resents it and he doesn't like to defend himself. 
He prefers to talk of his weaknesses. Go read Paul's writing and see what his emphasis is on. He never talks about what he's doing. He talks about what he can't do. He likes to talk about his inabilities. Now, I want you to focus on that for a second. Think about saints that you know and you're having spiritual conversation. What is it they like to talk about? Have you ever thought about that? Because, see, pride sneaks in in ways you can't even comprehend it. And it is always there. It is always laying there. Guess what I did? Paul liked to speak of things that he was the chief of sinners. He was what he was by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. The Apostle Paul was extraordinarily comfortable being a clay pot. Paul had no qualms about being a waste bucket. Paul said, I am so good because I am a former blasphemer. I am a former persecutor. I am a murderer. I was an enemy of Christ Jesus. Paul cherished the ability to share that he was one saved by God's mercy and by Christ put into the ministry. And you know what? He was very glad to speak of that. Have you listened to us today? Let me tell you what I have done for the Lord. It's fascinating. And it was extraordinarily difficult for the Apostle Paul. It was almost impossible to take time in a boastful way to deal with his credentials. And yet, what do you hear and see today? Do you have a radio program? Have you ever been published? Why? We know that the Apostle Paul won't say more than what is true. You can back up just a little ways, back to chapter 10, verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us. You know what that means? Whatever your ministry is, it ain't your ministry. God has given you this. You understand that? As to a measure to reach even as far as you. God even took what we were doing and now we have reached to the Corinthians. For we not, are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come, even as far as the gospel of Christ to you. Not boasting beyond our measure. Why? This is what God has had me do. This is what God wanted me to do. It is only to the measure of God and that measure God gave us. 
It wasn't we had a marketing strategy. It wasn't that we did a demographic study and believed that this place could afford another church. It was that we prepared ourselves for the task at hand and God opened the doors for the task that he needed done. Even boasting about what God had done in and through him in his call, Paul was modest. It is even as when God was doing exceedingly abundantly beyond anything the Apostle Paul could have ever imagined. It was very hard for Paul to say anything about it. It was very, very, very hard. R.A. Linsky said, quote, This man is so devoted to humility, none other has seen, unquote. Have you ever thought about that? When I read that from Linsky, I was like, how many people do you know right now that are devoted to humility? See, the Apostle Paul looked at boasting as folly. Paul looked at it fleshly. And if you look at your outline, you see there's just two points in these verses. And it's basically what Paul is saying. Humility and boasting. Know it is foolish and know it is fleshly. I don't care what you're boasting in. Even if you're doing something the Lord has drawn you to do, if you're boasting in it, guess what? I was pretty sure it was God's ministry and you just happened to be the waste bucket that carried the precious treasure inside. Yet Paul was forced to do it. And Paul never did it for his own sake, but he did it for the sake of the truth. He must affirm or reaffirm to the Corinthians, to these people, those who are doubting him, those who are doubting he is God's servant. The true apostle who give the true gospel, they must be listened to. And the people cannot doubt them. Remember what he told the Romans in Romans chapter 1 verse 18? I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Listen, if you've got a guy who's bringing you that, you can't doubt him. I have an advantage the Apostle Paul did not have. Why? You do not believe what I'm saying. Show me biblically where I'm wrong. Show me in the scriptures. There's a number of times in this letter, 2 Corinthians, and understand that that relationship had been fractured severely. And it was in the process of being healed, but yet there still remain these accusers in the church in Corinth. A number of times in this letter of reaffirmation, he affirms his apostleship. A number of times he reaffirms his calling. A number of times he reaffirms his humility. In fact, I was 
just doing a cursory glance at humility throughout the scriptures. And I was amazing at the things that I found. Because you won't hear it taught. Why not? Is that an attribute that we want? Well, if you're honest with the Bible, you will find out that humility in the scriptures is the noblest of Christian values. There is nothing greater. Have you ever had problems getting your prayers answered? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Just <laughs> Do you understand that the Scripture teaches that those who manifest humility will be heard by God when they pray? Did you ever think, maybe He ain't listening to you? Because... Of a lack of humility. Did you know that the humble of scriptures will be delivered by God when in trouble? Did you know that the humble have the privilege of enjoying the presence of God? Did you know that the humble will be honored by God? Did you know that the humble will enjoy a long and prosperous life? Did you know that the humble will be the object of God's special attraction and personal care? Did you know the humble will be lifted up And exalted by God? Did you know that they will be the greatest in his kingdom? Did you know that they will receive the fullness of his grace? Did you know that the humble will only inherit the earth? Did you know that the humble will get eternal glory? And that's just a cursory glance that I did through scriptures without even using a concordance. I just went through and things that I knew about the scriptures said, wow, check this out. On the other hand, the scriptures have a lot to say about pride. And I can summarize it very quickly. It's a sin. Pride is hateful to God. Pride reflects self-righteousness. Pride is an unsanctified heart. When I see a person who cannot move away from pride, the first thing I always think of is, they're not saved. Scripture forbids pride for a plethora of reasons. 
Pride defiles a person. Pride hardens the mind. Pride is the single greatest hindrance to the knowledge of God. Therefore, pride stops spiritual development. Pride leads to contempt for God's word. And that contempt will grow toward God's servants. Pride you can know by its fruit. It produces anger, envy, jealousy, and self-deception. Those guilty of pride are warned in Scripture that God will resist them. They are warned that God will judge them. They are warned that God will punish them. They are warned that God will destroy them. If you go back through history, He's always fulfilled that promise. Those who are prideful, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar going out and grazing, or Adolf Hitler believing he was called of God to destroy the Jews. One of the greatest books ever written, we call it the Book of Wisdom. You know one of the main topics in the Book of Wisdom is the Book of Proverbs? Pride. Pride. You guys can write these down and go look them up yourself because um, they're humbling. They're humbling. Proverbs 11.2. Proverbs 13.10. I could go on and on and on. One of the best ones is, it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than be with the proud. But, one of the best, my favorites, is that if you look at the Old Testament, what's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Okay, Between Malachi and Matthew, there's 400 years of quiet. God doesn't send another prophet. At the end of the book of Malachi, chapter 4, is the last chapter, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them Neither root nor branch. That's a pretty serious warning if you think about it. Now then, I want you to think about something. The Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul understood this. Paul helps us to understand the importance of humility because it is important to him. 
The tragedy is, in the church today, humility is not important. I mean, when you, if you're really honest, other than the person of Christ, there is no greater model of humility than the Apostle Paul. And he knew that. Do you understand? The Apostle Paul was a scholar. All right, now think about it. He had immersed himself in knowing the things of God. He knew them front, back, top, bottom, inside, outside. He studied under the Pharisaical line that exalted the word of God. It exalted the holiness of God. He had multiple languages. He understood it deeply. And yet, on the road to Damascus, he found out he was wrong. That should have been staggering. Jesus came to a man, Nicodemus. Or actually, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And if you look at the original translation, it says that he was the definite article teacher of Israel. You know what that means? He was the grand poobah of Hebrew. Nobody, when you couldn't settle it among yourselves, you took it before Nicodemus. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You know what he just told the most preeminent religious teacher of the day? You got to start over. Jesus pointed out a man who he said was the greatest man born of woman. Who was that? John the Baptist. Why was John the greatest man born of woman? Because he had this Powerful, powerful ministry. And he told his followers. Go follow him. I must decrease. He must increase. You know what that is? It's humility. Humility. Paul understood this. He understood it very well. And what Paul is going to do in these texts may be the single most difficult thing a Bible teacher can do. If you go to Acts chapter 20, verse 19, he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. I've already dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to look at something there. This is from the time I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all. Humility. You know what all humility means? It's not some humility. It's all humility. 
He told them that he was humble, and that is hard to do without losing humility. Right? I don't know of anything that's harder. Let me tell you how humble I am without losing my humility. He told the Ephesian elders in all humility. When a man can come and say to his people, follow the pattern of my humility. Think about that for a second. I want you to follow my humility. How do you say that and maintain your humility? And yet, when you are at that place, what a course you have set for those God has entrusted to you. That is staggering to me. The Apostle Paul is trying to maintain his integrity. And to maintain his integrity, he must maintain his humility. And Paul sought that. Sought to be truly humble, but he also sought to preserve that humility. You know why? Where did he learn humility from? Christ. Christ. And you know, it's one of those things. We say we want to be followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be Christian. It was a derogatory term for little Christ. And we think, yeah, you know. Remember when they had the uh, WWJD? What would Jesus do? All right. Well, I know one thing that Jesus would do that just isn't that popular. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus tells us, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't remember signing up for the lowly bus. He learned it from Jesus, whom Paul wrote that though he, he thought it not something to be equal with God in Philippians 2. Jesus gave it up and he took on himself the form of man, even the form of man to the point of death, even the form of man to the point of death on a cross. Do you understand that the crucifixion was done to embarrass? It was to send a message to the people. You want to look like that? And yet the Apostle Paul was confident enough to say, be followers of me as I am of Christ. That has to do with his humility. Paul's humility. Follow me as I am a follower of 
Christ. Do you see what I mean when I say, follow my humility? You know what you're saying? Follow the course of Christ. We always talk about Christ was perfect in everything. Absolutely. Even his humility. But we don't really run to think of that one, do we? Christ was perfectly humble. Christ was the pattern the Apostle Paul followed. So the whole idea of this text in 2 Corinthians of boasting in its context is excruciatingly difficult for the Apostle Paul. And if you think about it, I would lay it out as awful for him. I would lay it out as disgusting for him. Why? Because boasting is foolish and fleshly. And that is not what he had learned. That is the introduction that we will be studying over the next few weeks. One of the greatest topics in the whole of Scripture But yet I watch people over and over and over and over again who miss it. And it's humility. I watch people who want to exegete a text and wear it out because look at what I've learned. You know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. It's all it is. Let me tell you what I have learned from my Bible. It's pride. See how subtle it is? But you know what? It's only our nature. But praise be to God that he has removed our heart of stone and placed the heart of flesh. And you will fight with pride until that day. Your faith becomes sight. And when you start fighting with it, it doesn't like it. Because I was created in God's image. No, you weren't. You were actually created in Adam's. Sorry. All right. But see... John Calvin called it worm theology. We who are human are nothing but worms. And yet, we still have pride. Now you understand why we had need of a Savior. I will be going back to this and referring back as I move through this because you have to know that humility and boasting, you must know That boasting is foolish, and you must know that boasting is fleshly. And you can't let those go far from our thinking. Paul taught the church in Ephesus and the church in, in, uh, well, every church that he planted and, and instructed. He taught in all humility. Listen to people at times when they want to debate the scriptures. And they're doing it with overwhelming 
humility? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Father, we are in a day and an age like uh, no other when um, every society, it would seem, even the poorest, even the lowliest, um, in essence, are being driven by pride. Father, help us. Help us not to succumb. Father, help us to be vigilant. Father, help us to understand that we are nothing more than clay pots, earthen vessels, waste buckets with a precious treasure inside. Paul always understood that he was a lower level galley slave. Father, may we understand and let us follow as he followed you. To your glory and praise, Christ's name, amen.